If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with MyBookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up to the minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. Broadcasting live from Florida's capital city, this is the Jeff Cameron Show, brought to you by Orange Theory Fitness on Real Talk 93.3. Now, stop what you're doing and listen closely. It's time for the Jeff Cameron Show in 5, 4, 3, 2, one. Jeff Cameron Show. Happy Libations Friday, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Appreciate you. I'm Jeff. That's Tom. Director Matthew in the house. If you're watching on Warchant TV, like and subscribe. Twitter is at Show. Later today, 5.30 to 6.30, happy hour show. Myself, Corey Clark, at Corner Pocket Bar and Grill on Appalachian Parkway tomorrow morning. Tom will make his way over to Hotel Indigo, get things set up. 2 o'clock begins our pregame coverage. 5 o'clock in-game watch party as you uh, listen and uh, enjoy. Uh, also watch uh, Dominic Robinson, Tom Wang, Aslan, Ashavandi as well, all being part of this as they uh, break down the game and then post-game show. So there's we, we got you covered from beginning to end. Looking forward to the start of the season. Of course, something I thought about during the break, I don't know, uh, a friend of mine, Andrea Adelson, wrote a piece on ESPN, if you read that, uh, about uh, <clears throat> Mike Norvell attempting to return Florida State to its past football glory and the importance of this season. Of course, we all know that. Nothing new there. But she was talking about uh, the, you know, obviously the disparity between the ACC, the Big Ten, and the SEC, and it's a bad time to have uh, losing seasons. Yes, and the importance uh, for the conference that Florida State return to being an elite program as they've been in the past, and I think that's true too. It is important for the conference if the conference is going to survive. You say which conference? The ACC, obviously. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, point is. While we're here, that would be beneficial to the ACC if we could be good. Now, I don't think we plan on being here long. And that's also pointed out, as uh, obviously Richard McCullough has recently said, Florida State was, quote, doing anything that we can to think about how we remain competitive. Florida State is expected to win. We're going to be very aggressive when it came to securing the future of Florida State. Well, that's good. I want to hear that. I'd like to hear, I'd like to hear how aggressive. I would want. I almost would wish he would say obscenely aggressive. But I thought of something else, Tom. Let's get into this for a second. The part about the ACC needing Florida State to be good. The part about 
the ACC, for that matter, not written in this story, but it's true. I think you could extrapolate that out as well. They need Miami to be good. They need Clemson to be good. They need Virginia Tech to be good. It'd be cool if the teams that have real names in the world of college football were good again, really good again. Now, why do I bring that up? All right, not because I want to be here long term. For the negotiation for 2036 and beyond, of course. Not because I think that this is in our best interest to stick around. It's not. No, of course not. And we can talk about the financial picture another day. That's not what I'm doing here. But we have oft lamented that it seems to me officials in this league don't know what's best for the conference. That 50-50 calls that more often than not do not go Florida State's way ought to in close games against programs that mean nothing, nothing to big-time college football and certainly nothing financially to the ACC. Just as in basketball season, Duke and North Carolina seem to get all of the calls, might we look a little closer at how we call Florida State games this year? I think we should. Yeah? I think the Royal everyone should. Not just you and me. I would also note, Tom, and it's of great importance, that um, while you play a game against Duquesne tomorrow and the outcome is not in question, an overzealous official who decides that that is a spear or that a player led with the crown of his helmet could have an impact on whether or not Florida State's competitive against LSU. This is our concern, dude. You're damn right. Because these dumbasses have been steady, steady calling it wrong. And I don't even mean from a homer's perspective. I'm talking about the empirical evidence. I'm talking about the amount of times that post-game we've had to sit back rather incredulous and wait on an apology from the ACC or a missive being sent to the home office. Hey, man, what's your boy doing here? Think about the Wake Forest game alone last year. Sweet Jesus, they were going to guarantee... There was no chance for State competing in that one. Now, we didn't help ourselves, once again, experimenting with quarterbacks. But the nonsense with the punter, the -the on-the-field tackle that was called off the field in a 15-yard penalty that led directly to points at the start of the game for Wake Forest, all that stuff. This is the stuff I'm talking about, man. No, no. No, no. Let's hope, and the NFL does this, the NFL has points of emphasis The NFL will tell their officials, hey, look, in the last couple of years, defensive backs have gotten a little too handsy down the field. We want more offense, not less offense. Let's start enforcing the rule, illegal contact, whatever you got to do, if guys are getting a little bit too handsy down the field. Now, you don't have to like it, and I often don't, and I feel like defenders in the NFL – are at a distinct disadvantage because of how much offense has been promoted. That's fine. My point is more about the points of emphasis that the league has. The rules were already on the books. They just decide to highlight certain rules that they've either been poorly applying or ignoring altogether. Hey, we're calling one too many holds per quarter, guys. It's getting out of control. Our highest-profile player in Tom Brady a few years ago went to Twitter 
talking about a Monday night football game being unwatchable with the amount of holds that were called against the two teams. Right? Something like nine that night. They were like, what are we going to call holding after every play? What are we doing around here? And they dialed it back, didn't they? They chose to dial back the amount of times that officials looked for holding. I've always said you could call it on every play if you were inclined to. Yeah, but if you're going to be as logical as you want for several days on end, I still don't have faith in this league office to get that right at all. And it, I'll give of you an acronym uh, akin to ACC. Anything conceivably co- close. Anything conceivably close. That is their point of emphasis. It has been since we were going to see Doug Rhodes 10 years ago now. It was 10 years ago that they moved the football on the field, and Doug said, well, it was fourth and forever anyway. That was his answer. The Bradham play. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, targeting doesn't happen that often, so we, you know, we don't need a rule for it like a flagrant in which there would, there would be a review. He said that. Before targeting was even a thing, he said, no, nah, it doesn't happen often enough. You don't think targeting happens often enough now in the game of football? Yeah, I... It was laughable then. They're a laughable conference now. Always have been. We're not relitigating that. It's that they're in a desperate position now where perhaps they don't exist in the very near future. So, desperate times, right? Look, necessity, the mother of invention. How about we start doing our jobs a little bit better? Yeah. Okay? Guys. You think Jim Phillips is on a burner? (laughs) <laughs> Call the head of officiating? I mean, fellas, Florida State plays LSU next week. You're going to try to make a point against Duquesne on a 50-50? Stand down, sir. Stand down. Big boy football out here. People understand the deal. If you strap it up, you're going to get hit. People get hurt all the time. That's the game. That's the game. Duquesne took the money. They were paid handsomely. Took the money. This is not, you know, not volunteers. They took the money. At what point do players at a place like Duquesne say, hey, a little something for the trouble. If you guys are going to get a half a mil, we're the ones getting our heads kicked in. Literally. Literally. <laughs> I'm shaving years off of my life so you can make budget. And I'm grateful for the scally. But, you know, wouldn't kill you to give me an extra stipend in September for all the blood and guts that are going to be on the field. It is very, very strange. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not entirely certain – if those kinds of meetings happen. I just know that in the National Football League, they do. And nobody ever says, well, that seems odd to me, that you kind of willy-nilly in a given year just decide to emphasize this aspect of the rule book, but not this one, or to dial this back. Either it's a penalty or it's not, right? Like, that's typically how we, we look at these things. But there are, and there is, all kinds of room for discretion. There are it's fifty fifty. It there are some. It's tough. It, the game's played at warp speed by big guys looking to do serious damage. And it seems this league more than the SEC certainly has always erred on the side of being overly cautious and wrapping guys in bubble wrap, trying to protect every. And I'm like, what guys? It is football, and usually the bigger, stronger, faster team gets called for more penalties. That's why you see uh, a Florida State, a Miami, a Florida, an Alabama, a Georgia, all these schools, when they were good, if they are good, elite teams get called, especially when they are huge favorites in games, for a lot of penalties. Because I think it's human nature, this is my guess, from officials when they see a hapless individual, somebody who's physically incapable 
of protecting themselves or putting up a fight and winning an individual battle. Anything that's close, the officials tend to side with the team that's the underdog because they're watching a guy get an ass kicking. He's physically incapable. But here's the problem with that. We went 5-7 and seven last year. Where are the underdogs? And yet, <laughs> and yet. Not against Duquesne, we're not. No, but, you know, Boston yeah, College. Yeah. Boston College, Wake Forest on the road last year. Who's oh, the underdog? No, I know, man. I, I, it's just, Where are the underdogs? It, Come on, ACC. If you want redistribution of wins, that's how you want to roll. We've been down a long time, ACC. Just want to note that for a league that desperately needs Florida State to be good, they ought to be mindful of the impact of calls like that. Now, I'm not saying you ignore obvious infractions. I'm not, I don't want special treatment where the rules don't apply. I'm talking about those 50-50 calls that we see at least once a game, sometimes twice, that could go either way depending on your officiating crew and depending on the points of emphasis. Okay, I don't need the buzz down on a borderline call. Let's play football, man. Don't try don't go out of your way looking for if we slow it down frame by frame possible yeah. injectionable infraction. Stop doing that. I see that uh, we have a, a donation. I'll hit the woo button in a second with a Doug Rhodes story. I haven't read it, so hopefully it's appropriate. But Doug Rhodes when we were in the referee symposium. I was there with you. Yes. What was the language he used about calling penalties when in question yes throw the flag well think about that though when in question throw the flag but i want to point something out that was several years ago i agree with you doug Rhodes is dead now it, rest in peace that's it what we're seems talking about. like his legacy lives on in that office is my point when in question they throw the flag here, here but, go ahead. But, but but hold on this is why it's important to note the time that has passed since he said that and i'm with you i heard it i, I was pissed when they he said still it. live it this is why it's unfortunate and this is also why it ought to stop there was a period of time. What? How far back do we want to go? Uh, Ten years ago. When was it? You think we were on the air talking about the renewed emphasis of? Uh, well, I don't even want to say calling. Uh, you know, hardcore. The kill shot was what they wanted to kind of legislate so out of the game. Targeting was about ten years ago. Because, I'm trying to think of the exact year. Well, because we went in twelve to talk to Rhodes, and that was on the heels of Nigel Badham hit in eleven, where you talked to Michael Kelly and said, and "What I, should he have what done was differently?" He should have done differently, well, and he couldn't answer. I had never heard of targeting until that play. Yeah, it was not really in the lexicon of what an official would call. They call unnecessary roughness or something else, but that was. Um, the guy with the glasses, Jeff, uh, whatever his yeah, name who is. Cares, yeah, yeah, that was him that night that called the targeting and ejected Bradham, mm -hmm. and that's when the crowd. I thought the crowd. Some people might have hopped over the the rails that night. It felt close to there being a problem because they had already blown several calls leading up to that moment. So if it wasn't part of the game at that point, I'd say probably 2012 or 2013 is when targeting in both leagues and here's, was an emphasis. And here's what I thought was the important point to that. And Seth, I'm going to read your question. Trust me. I I thought it was important at that time to perhaps lean in that direction in the midst of the lawsuits against the National Football League that were shown to have lied to its players repeatedly about the long-term effects of CTE and head injury in the sport of football. Now, the reason that that was important is important. Once we got on the same page, both medically and otherwise, there is nobody who's currently playing football that doesn't understand there is an inherent risk to do so to your brain. Okay, We now know it. We know it. 
It was speculated upon before. We now know it. A little bit like cigarettes. In the 50s, people probably felt like, hey, we know this probably isn't good. I can barely get up these stairs. After a while, we learned, yeah, man, no, it ain't good. It's not good. You were right. Okay? Eventually, it was agreed upon. And in football, we've agreed upon this, too. Just like driving a race car 200 miles per hour is awfully dangerous, and if you hit a wall, you could die. Got it. Everybody knows the deal. Once they step out there now, this is not under the cloak of suspicion. Now we know, right? 50-50 calls, it's a violent game. We also know guys cannot. Intent has to matter. I, I, I keep getting back to this. Intent has to matter. Enforce the rules that have been on the books forever. You could never lead with the crown of your helmet. You never could. Back when I played, before I played, and now. You could never do that. It was always an infraction. It was a player safety issue. You could break your neck. So Nick Monacani's son broke his neck doing that. Unfortunate, but he, he did. I mean, he, he broke his neck against the Citadel while East, East, East Tennessee State. That, that was it. Or against East Tennessee State when he was with the Citadel. The point is... Those rules were already on the books. Enforce those. You don't have to go out of your way now to slow everything down frame by frame and then buzz down and say, hey, I think we've got something here. It's a got you sort of deal. That's not yeah. the way you should be calling that. Everybody's aware it's a dangerous game. I understand that. And we've been saying that specific thing about targeting since it's been instituted. That Well, I've been screaming from the mountaintops that I there's – I mean – what league is going to change first? It ain't going to be this one in that regard. But they're up against it. They are now screwed. They need – I'm just talking – I was being selfish to some extent. Now, somehow I've gotten down the path of arguing about – targeting rarely happens, by the way. I have said this since day yeah. one, and people got mad at me back when I used to say it. Now they agree with me. Target rarely ha targeting was a, rarely um, happens. Yeah, I, I, you know it when you see it. Uh, Patrick Chung, Todd Heap, I remember from years ago. There have been oh, and, listen, be, and uh, Bill Harrison. Romano no, Bill Romanowski yeah. used to do it to people all yep. the time intentionally, and I used to say he should be thrown out of the game. Perfect, James Harrison, Bill Romanowski, John Lynch to, try, to a degree. Well, Bill Romanowski used to try to break people's jaws by yep. coming up with the crown of his helmet underneath. There, there are a number of guys who play dirty, and you could identify them because it was so glaringly obvious. Now, listen, we go all the way back to the 60s and stuff. There were no rules, whatever. But I, I'm, I'm saying that a, a defender now, right, closing in to make a tackle, decides the angle. He's trying to go low. Most defenders are trying to go low. They were trying to legislate the kill shot out of the game, meaning a defenseless receiver over the middle of the field, and you launch into their head when you have the ability to tackle. Well, tackling should have always been the goal anyhow, and yeah. I agreed that they needed to get that out of the game. That that guys launching themselves into the upper torso when they had the option to just break ribs with their shoulder is a very different deal, right? I, I wanted that gone. Yeah. But this conference, more than any of the other conferences, finds targeting wherever they can around every turn, and they especially seem to do it whenever – one of the teams has a reputation for being perhaps bigger, stronger, faster. Does Well, and even when they're not, and when it, they're lowly Florida State because of the helmet. It carries over. Uh, how long? Yeah, We've know. been good for four out of 20 years. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, Jesus. I know. What about Jim Phillips' press conference in Charlotte gives you the uh, the confidence that he has that type of forward-thinking mentality behind the scenes? I, no, well, no, he sounded like a broken man. I yeah. agree with you. I agree with you. All right, Seth, very quickly, Doug Rhodes' story. My senior year at FSU in 11, I called and complained about officiating, and he actually called me back and talked to me for 30 minutes. Didn't get much, but it was nice to get the call. 17 tried again, got nothing. Yeah. Well, Woo! 
and and appreciate the contribution to what we do, Seth. Really appreciate that. I mean that sincerely. I got to talk quickly here because we're up against it. We got to bring in Dominic Robinson. But yes, Doug was a pleasure to talk to, and he would tell you about why they do what they did and all of that. And we did that at the ACC meetings, and that was fun. And I disagreed with him vehemently, and so did you, vehemently, and so did you. But it didn't matter. He would still talk to you about it. They're much more shut down now. I left that meeting hopeless in twelve. No. I was like, "Are you kidding me? That's the answer you have." And when in question, I'm. Well, hey, listen. When the guy against Wake moved the damn ball six inches, he was know. like, "Well, that was a technique issue." Fourth and fifteen. We we've talked to him a bunch. It's, it I was mean, a technique what's issue. What's the difference? Fourth and fourteen. You don't see the process. I mean, my man is moving the ball. The PR firm could have made a lot of money <laughs> off of this ACC over the years, sir. What have we done? All right, Dominic Robinson is going to be uh, our lead analyst for football games this year for the in-game watch-alongs. You'll be able to watch on Warchant TV. Uh, he's gonna he's gonna talk about some comments he made regarding Johnny Wilson's upside and his comparison to Kelvin Benjamin that he made, and then also where he's coming at all of this from his analysis, his commentary. And I had a chance to sit down with him yesterday. He wanted to clarify some things, but also. He's excited, just like we all are, to be part of the team and to do, do this job uh, of breaking down FSU and what they're attempting to accomplish on all these plays and the concepts involved and all that. That's next here on the Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. The Jeff Cameron Show, brought to you by Orange Theory Fitness, two Tallahassee locations, Midtown on Thomasville Road, and Northside in the Village Common Shopping Center, online at orangetheoryfitness.com. Warchant TV, Warchant.com. I'm Jeff Cameron. In a moment, we're going to welcome in Dominic Robinson. You all remember him very well from his playing days at Florida State. And he's with us now on Warchant.com and Warchant TV. In fact, that's where I'll begin. Don't forget the watch along party. We'll be doing pregame shows this Saturday. Myself and Tom Lang. The in-game show is that guy right there as he breaks down and analyzes. Personnel, the game, as we watch along, it's a good thing. There you'll see it. The watch along begins with the game at 5 p.m. Pre-game show at Hotel Indigo, 2 o'clock. And right after the game concludes, about 10 to 15 minutes after it concludes, you get a post-game show as well with Tom Lang and Gene Williams. So we've got you covered from start to finish. Don't forget to like and subscribe to War Chant TV and watch our latest show. Dominic Robinson, how are you? Good, sir? Man, I'm, I'm, I'm super pumped, man. I'm, I'm really excited and Obviously, I, I created a little stir the last time I was on. Um, so, you know, I'm excited to, to touch on, on uh, and, and explain a little bit uh, what, what my comments were. But really just excited to have opportunities like this to go dig a little bit deeper than, the, you know, sort of the typical talk, talking heads. You know, guys that make these hot sports opinions, um, you know, that are really backed in no fact or, or really understanding of the game. They just know it'll get clicks or, uh, you know, uh, be, you know, entertain people, but that's, that's, that's not my deal. That's not my lane. So excited to dig into the, to the X's and O's and the, and really the why behind the success or the failures of, of, uh, of these football teams and football players. Well, I know that people will enjoy that. I always enjoy that as well. And it, it can be infuriating, especially when, you hear guys say things that you know aren't really relevant or germane to that particular play or assignment, and you certainly know what you're looking at, not only as a former player, but as somebody who consumes this and is involved in it year-round. This is something that you've remained close to and continue to be a part of, and I know that you've continued to also kind of fully vet Mike Ravel's offense. you got a good understanding. You've talked with him and others uh, about this offense, so 
that'll be exciting to hear your insights as to you know what they're trying to set up, what they're doing here, why that worked or didn't work, what that personnel grouping means, and what those assignments are, who missed them, and who succeeded. Yeah, for sure, man. And that's um, that's something that I'm super duper passionate about. Something that I've been doing for a long time, um, whether officially or unofficially, behind the scenes or or in front of the camera. So I'm really excited to bring that about something that I'm also passionate about, which is Florida State football. I've been a fan for a really long time, uh, pro way prior to even playing there or even having an opportunity to think that I could play there. So really excited about the the opportunity to to sit down and just dig a little bit deeper than the typical broadcast, you know, and and not just make not just make these bold, you know. Uh, overarching opinions about things but really like i said like you said earlier just dig deep into the the belief system the philosophy behind mike norvell what he wants to do the things that he believes a, a successful offense and defense should do and then um you know are they achieving that you know are, are they doing the things that they set out to do um you know the, with this being uh you know a pivotal year for him and his staff uh, with his guys now being in there, I feel like he's probably got the staff that he envisioned he would have at this point and, and the players that, that he envisioned he would have at this point. So now it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's go time. So I'm excited. It's definitely for good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all are. It's, it's definitely go time. People are anxious for the season. Well, let's get to it. I mean, you don't just say things meekish, first of all. Secondly, you don't say things just to say them. So we've established that. That said, a lot of Florida State fans got really excited about your opinion <laughs> of Johnny Wilson. Yeah. And, hey, listen, you know, I've been at those practices. I like Johnny Wilson. I was surprised to hear you compare him to Kelvin Benjamin. Now, Kelvin Benjamin had a very small window in which he was a dominant player, and we all have various thoughts on why that was. But the bottom line is, let's clarify what you meant. What is it you love about Johnny Wilson, and what do you think about what he will become, whether it's this year or the year after, or as a player maybe down the line in the NFL? Yeah, I, I think just to touch on what you said before, make sure that I want to, you know, this is, um, I've only been on, wait, maybe four times at this point. So you guys are getting to know me just like I'm getting to know you. Um, as you get to know me and as we spend more time uh, and I spend more time on this medium, you guys will see that the comments that I made about Johnny are not something that you'll get a lot of uh, from me. You know, big, the, the you know, overarching statements, uh, sort of, you know, bullet point, hot sports, uh, hot sport opinion type things. Uh, you may be entertained by it, but it's never my goal or intention to just get clicks and to try to entertain you with the information. I'm a coach first uh, to, to my being, to the deepest you know parts of my body. Like I'm a football coach and I would never say something for effect or again for entertainment. I only say those things because I really feel deeply about it. I am a very sincere person. I'm a very honest and upfront and forward person. And the, the main reason why I can really speak so boldly about this situation, both KB and Johnny, is I've spent a lot of time with both of them, and not only them, but with their coaches. I just spent time with KB's um uh, with KB's pro coach at the Carolina Panthers, Lance Taylor. I spent time with Lawrence Dossie and know him very well. 
I was in the meeting rooms with Kelvin Benjamin and Lawrence Dossey uh, for many sessions. I spent time on the practice field with Kelvin Benjamin. I spent time talking to Jimbo Fisher about Kelvin Benjamin while I was there coaching at Leon High School and helping out with the wide receivers over the summer. I also spent time one-on-one -on -one with Johnny's coach, uh, a college coach, um, uh, Coach Prentice here at ASU. I know him very well. I spent time with Johnny. I watched Johnny on film, both his freshman year and his sophomore year. So I'm not just speaking just based on highlights. I'm not speaking based on bullet points that I, I'm not speaking from what I heard someone else say or what someone else believed. I personally have spent a, an exorbitant amount of time with both parties, both personally and then other people that worked with them professionally. And I'm not making a statement based on fantasy football. Okay, It's fantasy football versus reality. And for example, Anquan Bolden, his junior year, caught 41 footballs for six touchdowns. Kelvin Benjamin, I believe, caught 55 footballs for 15 touchdowns and over 1,000 yards. Kelvin Benjamin is nowhere near the wide receiver that Anquan Bolden ever was, and that would never, that argument, it, does, it doesn't even begin. Anquan Bolden was a rookie of the year and absolutely killed the National Football League. Fantasy football would tell you that Kelvin Benjamin is the guy based on his college stats, college numbers. Okay, There's a difference between production and then actual um, the things that the NFL and coaches assess players by. And it's not catches. It's not yards. It's not touchdowns. Okay, Julio Jones, for instance, one of the most dominant players to ever walk the earth at wide receiver. He has a very low touchdown rate. So he's not very good in fantasy football. He's not the guy that you really want in fantasy football. But there's plenty of guys that you would draft over him in fantasy football that if we did a, a real receiver draft with people who actually know and understand the game, there's no chance you're taking someone in front of Julio Jones because he is a better wide receiver. And that was the point that I was making. Johnny, I'm not saying that Johnny's going to catch 55 balls lead us to a national title, catch a touchdown in the national championship over Chris <laughs> Davis. I am not even coming close to, to saying that. What I'm saying is that if you know and understand wide out play and you, and you compare the two and the attributes that make a wide receiver a, a productive NFL talent, Johnny is closer to being that than, um, than, than Kelvin Benjamin is or Kelvin Benjamin was at the time. Um, I'm a huge fan of Kelvin Benjamin, so I hate even kind of saying some of this stuff that I said, oh, this guy's better, that guy's better, because uh, trust me, man, I lifted my nine-year-old son up after, just like you said, somebody lifted you up in the press box. I lifted my <laughs> nine-year-old son um, above my head after Kelvin Benjamin scored. I absolutely loved watching that guy play. I am a huge fan of him. I always will be. Um but there's a difference between being a fan and being a homer. I'm not a homer. I'm not watching Florida State with rose-colored glasses. I'm a coach, and I'm an evaluator. That's what I do. That's who I am to my being. So when I watch them play, I can evaluate. I can separate my emotion from 
the reality of what's going on out there on the field. And that's all I was saying was I know Johnny well enough to know that that's a football star. That is a wide receiver star. And he, and if you love, if you like the things that Kelvin Benjamin did on the football field, Johnny Wilson has the ability to do even more um, just based on the attributes that he has and the wideout play he has. He doesn't have the quarterback. There were six, I believe, or eight All-Americans on that team that KB played on. One of them was the quarterback. (laughs) uh, Two of them were offensive linemen. So you can't compare the two in terms of production, and that's not what I was doing. Johnny, it's not just Johnny Wilson. If the number one overall pick in the draft is the starting quarterback for your team, uh, yeah, lots of guys' numbers are going to go way up. Everybody's going to exactly. feel pretty good. Exactly. So it's, you know, so it's fantasy versus reality, you know. Right. And, and Kelvin Benjamin was a, you know, and, and everybody on that team, Nick O'Leary, yeah. um, you, know, you know, from top to bottom, you know, that team put up numbers uh, that were just astronomical. So I'm not saying that Johnny's going to put up that that you know uh, amount of production. Hell, I hope he does, but it's not realistic to think that um, he doesn't have the the system is different, quarterback is different. There's so many different factors that go into actual production. But if we're talking about wideout play, that's what I was that's what I was speaking to. That's what I'm excited about watching, both with um, you know the, the the kid that transferred over from Oregon and and with Johnny. Yeah, Micah Pittman and, and Johnny Wilson yeah, coming up from Arizona Pittman. State. It's yeah. exciting. Can you imagine another time and another day you and I can have a discussion about what those numbers would have looked like if Jimbo Fisher didn't play at such a slow pace? Can you imagine if he had tried to play tempo? I mean, those numbers would maybe be uncatchable. I mean, because they broke NCAA yeah. records running 55 plays a game. <laughs> they were, man, and they were pro style. You know, they weren't chucking it around the way that, uh, you know, yeah. the way that offenses are now. Um, so yeah, it, it would be, uh, it would be really fun. You know, that's, and again, kind of going back to that same argument when I was coming out, Texas tech wideouts every year, were catching like 80 or 90 balls. Yeah. Florida state wideouts were catching 40 and 50 balls. Not a single person on the planet was taking a Texas tech wideout over any Florida state wideouts from Snoop menace and, um, yeah. you know, Javon Walker and all, all these guys, they were, they weren't catching over 40 or 50 balls because the style of offense production doesn't match, uh, you know, the reality of whether a player is a good player or not. Those guys were catching a ridiculous amount of, uh, of catches. And it wasn't until Michael Crabtree busted sort of that mold of, Hey, we can have production and, uh, you know, and be a, a, a top flight wideout. But prior to him, they just didn't. They didn't. Those guys weren't getting weren't getting drafted at all. weren't even getting considered because it was the offense. You beat me to the punch. I was just about to bring up Michael Crabtree. It worked out perfect. See, we could just talk football all day. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, really, yeah, really quick, sure. really quick. I think folks can glean from this where you're coming from. And I think it's refreshing, and I think it's insightful, and I think it's interesting. And be you know, I just want to say this: Saturday, starting game time, five o'clock. Watch along. Dominic Robinson going to be right here, espousing these opinions, telling you why, telling you what they're looking to do here, what they're trying to accomplish, what this play is designed to do, why it did or didn't work, and everything else in between. You see that lineup right there. Like and subscribe. First of all, the pregame show, 2 o'clock, Hotel Indigo. 5 o'clock, they kick it off, and you will hear from the man himself, Dominic Robinson, breaking it down throughout all of the games this year. And then, of course, the postgame show as well. 
I'm looking forward to it. Final thing, what are you probably uh, most looking forward to, Dominic? I'm wondering about this year's team. They have some question marks, obviously. You just said a moment ago that, you know, they're a bit of a flawed team, but they're better. So what are your expectations for what Florida State can be? What's the jump look like to you if everything plays out all right? And obviously they have good injury luck and all the things that happen within football. Yeah, you know, I don't want to get too ahead of myself with any of this um, in terms of getting the program turned around or any of that. My main thing is I just want to see a consistency and in, in, um, in competitiveness from game one through game 12. Oh, that's really, I want to see that last because we had spots of that last year and I was really impressed. I actually saw, went to the Clemson game and saw them at Clemson and showing up that day, I didn't think I was going to see a competitive team. And I left being incredibly impressed with not, you know, the schemes and everything were, were, were great. They, they, they did a great job calling the game. I thought offensively, um, there was a, there was a couple things that they did really well, but more than anything, I saw an energy and a fight. I mm-hmm. saw this level of competitiveness that like, I don't care that you're Clemson. I don't care that we're on the road. I don't care that our quarterbacks banged up. I don't care that we're, uh, you know, have a losing record right now. Like we're out here to fight you. Like we're here to get in a fight. And that was exciting for me as a as a as a longtime life knoll. I was concerned going into that. I thought I was going to see my team, my family get pumped in person, and I hadn't seen them in person in a really long time. So I was really, um, I don't know, tepid about like being there because I was like, "This is going to suck," you know. And <laughs> I have I have my and I have my son with me, and I you know, and I'm a knoll, and it's just like my son's going to see my family get pumped like right in front of my face. And I can't do anything about it, you know? And that's kind of the sucky part about when you're not playing anymore. It's like you just you can't control any anything. It's going to be a fun journey and a fun ride. And you can begin at home by watching on War Chant TV, 5 o'clock this Saturday for the in-game watch-along. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Dominic. It's good to hear from you. Good to talk to you, brother. Be good. And I'm looking forward to Saturday. For sure. All right, take Don't care. Know. The Jeff Cameron Show, brought to you by Orange Theory Fitness, two Tallahassee locations, Midtown on Thomasville Road, and Northside in the Village Common Shopping Center. Online at orangetheoryfitness.com. All right, all right. Here we go. You all right? Oh, yeah. Looked like you were exhaling. A little bit. It's uh, one fantastic program down. We've still got one more to go today, and we've got three more tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow is a busy day, but it's football Saturday, and it's a reason to be very, very excited. I know everybody is, and I completely agree. I, too, am very, very excited uh, because we had an awful lot of uh, uh, interviews and pre-records and things that we had to do for today. Just logistically, I didn't get to uh, to give my love to everybody that helps us do the Jeff Cameron Show and, and, and sponsor the Jeff Cameron Show. So you're going to promo tomorrow again? No. No? Okay. I don't think I can do it again. Uh, at least not during this show. Yeah, that's fair. If you're hearing this right now and you or someone you know is active military, a veteran, police officer, firefighter, nurse, or a teacher, listen up. 
good things lie in wait for you. My friend Shannon with Legendary Home Loans has a hometown hero loan program designed to make a difference to those that make a difference. When it's time to buy a new home, he will waive all lender fees for all hometown heroes. That's over $1,600 worth of value right there out the gates. If you decide to use their preferred title company for the closing, you'll save another $600. We're now up over $2,200 off the top. That's doing some things, baby, and it's important. So, again, if any of you are or know somebody who's interested in perhaps getting a loan for a home, and they're active military, veteran, police officer, firefighter, nurse, or a school teacher, you want to buy a new home, choose Shannon Young with Legendary Home Loans. Ask about their Hometown Heroes program. Call 844-FSU-LOAN, 844-FSU-LOAN, or visit FSUHomeLoans.com. That's FSUHomeLoans.com. Yeah, I want to make sure I get that in there because Shannon's a huge knoll. They, they all are there, and uh, he'll be in town this weekend for the game, and I know excited to see his fellow knolls and get after it. Good times. Good times. Starting to feel more real. And uh, Ryan, in the chat, you can go to hell putting that out there about the lightning delay. Don't do that. What happened? Don't do that, he's saying. Enjoy the lightning delay, <laughs> which I got a kick out of. But and Come I, on, man. Well, now you called out Ryan, and I looked over, and he said, I'm not 23 anymore. No, I'm bald, Ryan. I'm old. I'm, I'm, yeah, <laughs> I don't know if something about me reading made you <laughs> feel compelled to. No lightning delays here. Uh, if there is one, have it be before <laughs> kickoff of the game. Right, because you don't want the watch along to start. It go through five plays, then there's a lightning delay. That, that's just. I don't know no. why we're talking about lightning delays. Can we just not do this? Your fault, Ryan. <laughs> do not do this. Sure, there's a chance. We're in the South. We're in Florida. It's still summer. It's hot. It's this is what happens. And the standard has changed, as we pointed out. It used to be there was a good chance you could die practicing football in this state in the 80s and 90s. Not anymore. We 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 now learned our lesson. But I just yeah. Man. If there's a lightning strike at the paper mill in Perry, you know, <laughs> then we're done. It's 45 minutes from every single one. You're gonna make me say something about Perry, and they'll be all angry. Oh come on! Oh, I'm I just, shouldn't uh, have done that. Uh, well, it's and just it's fun. It's fun. It's okay. Everybody settle down. It's okay. Here we go. You ready? Let's get after it. Probably. It's time for. How you say with the pitching uh, probables? Dodgers, Marlins, Tyler Anderson having a Cy Young season out of nowhere after leaving Pittsburgh. It's Thirteen and two with an ERA just over two. What the hell are we doing? Marlins are TBD. Reds, Nationals, Mike Miner, Cade Cavalli, Pirates, Phillies. Oh, you don't want any of this. Get you some, Director Matthew. Welcoming in the Buckos, the Battle of Pennsylvania tonight, everybody. Yeah, we're throwing Bryce Wilson. He of the two and seven five seven four Wilson family. Some dude named Bailey Falter is pitching for you guys. Is that right? Did I say his name right? Is he any good? No. He's a quick mover though. So if you like. Rapidly moving baseball games. Well, there we can't hit a lick, so he'll get right against us. Angels, Blue Jays, Reed Detmers, and uh, Mitch White. Rockies, Mets, Chad Cool, Chris Bassett. Man, your boy was throwing last night, mm. dealing. Yep. I watched that. In his five starts since his return, 46 Ks, two walks. Just get the hell out of here get with some of that location, right? It's hilarious. 46 to two? Yeah. It's fun to watch. Rays, Red Sox. J.T. Chargois, Michael Waka, 
Tigers, Rangers, Tyler Alexander, Glenn Otto. Hey, I'm Glenn Otto. Welcome to Glenn Otto. I didn't go full on. I, I couldn't do it today. Orioles, Astros, Kyle Bradish, Lance McCullers Jr. Padres, Royals, TBD, Chris Bubik. Giants, Twins, Alex Wood, Joe Ryan. D-backs, White Sox, Tommy Henry, Johnny Cueto still in the league and pitching well. Cubs, Brewers, Justin Steele, Freddie Peralta. Braves, Cardinals. Hey, I'll say it. I'm going to say it out loud, Tom. I'm going to say it out loud. Let's go Braves. What? Playing the Cardinals. No. Screw the Cardinals. Oh, no, no. Let's go Bravo. What do you care? Let's get it done, Braves. What do you, don't you care more about me? I hate the Cardinals. You hate the Cardinals hate more than you care about me. I see. I know. All I right. just hate the Cardinals. All I love right. you dearly, but screw the Cardinals. Johnny, well, Jose Quintana is pitching tonight for the Cardinals. That creep Apparently, can roll, man. These freaking guys in Atlanta. Arenado's wife is having a kid, so he's not even going to play this weekend. I don't know. Unbelievable. Go get him, Goldschmidt. Let's go, Bravo! You do your triple crown thing. Spencer Strider is going to pitch for the Braves. Yankees A's, Garrett Cole, J.P. Sears, Guardians Mariners, Shane Bieber, and Logan Gilbert. And that is a look at those that shall reside on the bump. That's how it goes. Man. You'll well, be humming that on your way on the roads today. Well done, Live Spectator. Eight-year-olds, dude. Yeah. Quintana can roll. I Every time I see it come up, well, he was a pirate for most of the Chino. year. <laughs> With a record. <laughs> when the, the, the best part of that is the knocking on the door and the flashback <laughs> yeah, of that right. huge dude. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they cut it at the right time because it's yeah. not an oversold look. It's just yeah. a, a concerned look from the Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, oh, and he's wearing ridiculous. <laughs> Totoro's got range, man. Oh, he's so good. He is so. He's got good. range for days. It never, it never gets old. I laugh every time. I... Who's got more range, Oldman or Totoro? Ooh, mm-hmm. Gary. Close though. He's really Gary. But it's still good. It's close. It's good. Yeah. No, I listen. I trust him. I see the name in the cast. I'm like, all right, we're going to be good here. We're all right, guys. You don't have to worry about this. Good work out of you. I'll see you uh, very shortly at the Corner Pocket Bar and Grill, Appalachian Parkway. It is happy hour showtime at 530 to 630. Me and myself, Corey Clark. Good job, Director Matthew. Be good, everybody. Go Knowles. Talk to you Monday after a big win.